you came back. <laughs> All right, now we are going to talk about now the next greatest day in the history of the world. And the baby's excited. <laughs> now, the first greatest day in the history of the world we already discussed was when Christ came, that incredible night and that whole invisible battle that was going on and you will now change your manger scenes forever. <laughs> and the next greatest day was, of course, when Christ bore all our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. What a great and victorious day it was when the Lord said, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. And he gave up his life as an atonement for all the sins who would believe. And then, of course, three days later, the next greatest day, notice all these greatest days sent around the Lord, was when he rose from the dead rose from the dead. The tomb was empty. He backed everything he set up with a resurrection. And our Savior conquered sin, death, and hell when God the Father raised him from the grave and then his ascension and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father waiting patiently for the next greatest day and the next greatest day in the history of the world when the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be together with the Lord. So today, right now, we're going to use our sanctified imaginations as we look at that great day when eternity breaks into time and the Lord himself will snatch every believer into the heavenlies. What happens when we get there? No matter what we imagine today, ladies, with our collective imaginations, we won't even come close <laughs> to what it's really going to be like. But we're told in Holy Scriptures to set our heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set our mind on things above and not on earthly things, right? For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to, there's no way to describe in earthly terms, so we're going to rely on God's word to inform our minds. Now, John, Ezekiel, and Isaiah, all those who came before us struggled to describe what they saw in heaven. Revelation 4, they saw, John says, I saw one sitting on a throne like a jasper, but it wasn't really. It was like a jasper and like a sardius in appearance. There was a rainbow around the thrown like an emerald in appearance. Uh, they used language the best they could with heavily weighted disclaimers. Using that word, it was like, but not really. It was something, Ezekiel said, it was like an expanse, and they saw exactly the same thing. It was like an expanse. It was like an awesome gleam of crystal, something like a throne, like lapis luzi in appearance. Paul didn't even try to tell us what he saw when he went to heaven. 2 Corinthians 12, 2 says, he was caught up to the third heaven 
caught up into paradise, and he heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. The third heaven is the abode of God. And Paul couldn't, Paul wouldn't talk about it. And when that moment happens, when Christ snatches us away, we will be going about our normal daily activities. Mothers will be changing diapers or driving their young teenagers around town to their music lessons or their baseball practices. Kids will be in school. People will be driving on the freeway. I'll be probably down at the grocery store. I'm always down at the grocery store looking for something to eat. They keep eating the food, and you have to go buy more. I'm always down there. Anyway, when the eternal God breaks into time, will time stand still? The word says that those left behind, it will happen so fast in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will all be changed in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment. But for believers, I don't know, will everything go in slow motion? Imagine driving on a freeway and you hear this terrible explosion of thunder. Now, I live in Southern California. We don't have thunder, so we're not going to know what even that sounds like. Thunder, thunder like you've never heard before. And and then all of a sudden, there's this strange, strange, violent shaking. And then you realize the thunder, the shaking, it's a voice. By the sheer power of it, you know it's not a human voice. It's something you've never heard before. So... How can it be explained other than the word says the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the normal sunny day is gone and the light of Christ dominates the sky. It's a thousand times brighter than the brightest sun and yet we're inside the light, hidden away with Christ in God. Yet it's shining all around us. And then, oh, all of a sudden, we're flying up, 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 up (laughs) to meet the Lord in the air. I wonder, will we be aware of other people flying up next to us? (laughs) I mean, it's just, is it just a mass of human bodies flying up into the air? Are angels going to be flying there, helping us fly? I don't know how to fly, do you? All of a sudden, I'm in the air. Matthew 24, 31, scripture tells us that day at the end of the tribulation, God actually sends his angels to actually go and collect the saints from the four corners of the earth. But now here at the rapture of the church before the tribulation, maybe they come to us as well. I don't know. Angels are intricately involved in the church and this is a big moment for the church. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see what happens. We're just asking the questions. But we'll all be flying up to meet him in the air, and it seems like there's an opening in the sky. And we realize it's a door. Well, maybe it's the same door John talked about in Revelation 4. It's the door he passed through when he was ushered into the throne room of God. And now millions of raptured saints are now racing through the doorway and assembling together in the third heaven, the abode of God. And then we see him. Oh, that's what it means. He is the radiance of God's glory. 
and the exact representation of his being. We're going to know what that finally means. And if we have breath in our glorified bodies, our breath will be taken away. He'll be so magnificent. As raptured saints, I wonder, does each individual person see him eye to eye? Or are we seeing him together as a collective whole? I don't know, maybe it's both. Scripture does not say, but because we're so trapped in time down here, so grounded in the flesh, we have no idea what it will be like, but we do know that he will be the most beautiful, the most glorious sight we have ever seen. We will know what it's like to fix our eyes on Jesus because we will not be able to take our eyes off of him. Our hearts will break with joy. They'll break with humiliation. They'll break with exaltation, with awe. And yes, ladies, we will finally know what the word awesome really means. And it wasn't the pizza. <laughs> it wasn't the new car you bought. It is our Jesus who is the only one who is truly awesome. We will be filled with that awe, with relief, with peace. The fight is over. The battle is done. Eternity's issues have begun. And with our eyes fixed upon our glorious and beautiful Savior, all we will all do what we all yearn to do. We will all fall down and we will bow and worship our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords. But for now, I want you to stand and say with me this words, you are worthy to receive honor and glory and blessing for you were slain and you have purchased for God with your blood every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. Sing with me. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean see him how marvelous how wonderful and my song shall My sin and my sorrow, he made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. 
sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And go ahead and have a seat. Now we will have no idea how long that worship lasted. Hours, days, years. We, we will be outside of time. Time will not exist. We will finally know what it means to be lost in wonder, love, and praise. And then the Lord will speak. It will be the most powerful voice, but it will be the most beautiful voice, the most soothing voice, all at the same time. My beloved ones, he'll say, your place is prepared. Enter into the joy of your salvation. Enter in the fullness of life everlasting. And then the Lord will tell us that he has gifts and honors and rewards to distribute to us. And he will soon summon us to the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ. And we will be amazed and stunned that he would give us honors and rewards. Just being with him in his presence is more than enough. But what is the Bema? What was the Bema going to be like? Perhaps while we're waiting for the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema, it will be revealed to us what now will happen on the face of the earth. But since we're in heaven, I don't know if we're going to want to know what horrors will happen on the earth. But just because we're going to be enraptured by the Lord with our eyes fixed upon him. But just to give you a sense of the timeline. While we are safely tucked away in, heaven, in the heavenlies with Christ, on earth there begins a seven-year tribulation. And just like Daniel foretold, even as far back as Moses foretold it, he spoke of the tribulation in the last days, and more importantly, just as Jesus himself recorded in Matthew and Mark and was outlined in the book of Revelation. And in the chapters Revelation 6 through 19, we are given the details of the period of that time, what happens. And there's war, there's famine, 25% of the world is killed. The collapse of the heavenly bodies, 
One-third of the earth is destroyed. One-third of the sea is destroyed. The creatures and the ships that are on it. One-third of the fresh water with many multitudes of people who drink it are destroyed. One-third of the stars fall from heaven. The release of hell's demons overrun the earth. The, um, the slaughtering of the beast and the false prophet consummates their evil. Vile ministry goes on during that time. Body sores are all over men. You see why we're in heaven. We're not going to want to know what's there. We're in heaven. We don't care. But this is just so that you get a sense of it. Everyone in the sea and all the living creatures in the sea are killed. All the fresh water will be polluted. Scorching sunlight will burn people to death. A little global warming. Darkness will cover the earth. Pain, sores, more demons. And it just goes on like that from Revelation 6 into the chapter 19. The seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments. All of that happens in the last half of the tribulation. While the raptured saints are safely in heaven, all that horror takes place in in really in the three and a half years it gets it gets increasingly worse through the tribulation and they pick up speed but all this happens after Christ has removed his church from the earth in the rapture that brings him safely to heaven all the raptures saints will continue to be stunned at everything we're seeing and hearing and learning when we're in heaven but we will be completely amazed that we are safe and we have entered the fullness of joy. Now, before we are summoned to the Bema, maybe we'll enjoy to start uh, meeting 20 centuries of redeemed saints. Wow. I mean, all the while, as we greet one another, we will be surrounded by myriads and myriads of angels. Quite astonishingly, the angels will know us. Have you ever thought about that? On the earth, we are surrounded, right now even, we're surrounded at all times by millions and millions of angels. They are in every strata of the universe. Remember the video? They can see us, but we can't see them. They are watching us. They are guiding us. They are providing for us. They are protecting us. Nobody likes to talk about angels, and that's a whole other subject, why they don't like to talk about it. It's very historic why they don't. But they are here right now. On earth, we never had what is called a guardian angels. We probably had numerous guardian angels, and they all know us. Scripture tells us that angels are ministering spirits sent to serve and care for those who will inherit eternal life. That's Hebrews and in Psalms and in Matthew. These angels are continually watching the face of God ready to be dispatched to help a believer in need. Or, in my case, to make sure the one who was going to believe would live long enough to come to the day of salvation. Part of my testimony is I got run over by an 18-wheeler truck. Anybody ever been run over by one of those? It was, you read? There I have a person, 18-wheeler. Somebody said, was that figurative? I said, no, it was real. And then after I was saved, 
a year later. I walked away without a scratch. I read this psalm that I didn't know about at the time. It's Psalm 91. You probably know it. I didn't at the time. I wept when I read it. He will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. God sent an angel or angels to spare my life and perhaps when I stand at the Bema, I will see what happened in the invisible world that day. Maybe I'll see that truck wreck from Jesus' point of view because that car went, was going under the back wheel of the truck and we were being crushed and it was coming right at our, our heads. We were next and just at the last minute the car flipped up into the air and it rolled twice. Upside down we went twice and then smashed into a cement embankment and maybe I'll see how the angels did that. And I will stand amazed in the presence. And I will get to meet them and thank them for coming to my rescue. They perhaps even protected me against my own foolishness and my own sinful flesh. I could have been in worse shape, if it's hard to believe, than I was the day I repented and believed God. Stunning. Those angels have watched over us and saw us at our best and at our worst sinful moments. Think about this. The angels would have seen evil in the most horrific form because they were there when Lucifer was hurled out of heaven. They would know the harm and the destruction and the sorrow caused by sin. They saw it with their own eyes. And maybe that's why when we all came to salvation through faith in Christ, the angels rejoice. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents, the Holy Scripture says. The angels marvel at salvation. They're leaning out of heaven, marveling at salvation. It is very likely one of those angels who have been protecting us will show us around heaven. Help us maybe acclimate to our new dwelling. <laughs> and we'll find out soon and very soon, won't we? So what is the Bema? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us exactly what it is. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And that word bad is actually better translated worthless, whether good or worthless. So every believer has been given life, a certain number of days, talents, natural abilities, gifts of the spirit, wealth, possessions, as I said, a specific number of days that they live on the earth. And not everyone gets the same package. Every one of the millions and millions of saints are all unique in what we receive and trust from God. At the Bema, every person will give an account to God on how they were used. Romans 14, 10 through 12 for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow and every tongue will give praise to God so that each one of us will give an account of himself to God. 
This is not judgment for sin, ladies. All sin for every believer has been forgiven. Colossians 2, I love the picture in Colossians 2, having forgiven all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt that was against us, he just took it away and nailed it to the cross. So think of a big certificate with all this writing on it, and it's all against you. Think of the letters just falling off of that certificate. They just, whoop, and the certificate is blank. It's gone. Forgiven. It's all disappeared. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, period. You will not be a defendant on trial defending your sin. No believer will ever be judged for sin. You will not be compared to anyone else. The Bema is a reward judgment. It's eternal rewards. It's like at the end of the Olympic Games. That's the proper picture scripture gives us in the actual word Bema. It's a picture of a huge arena, a stadium full of people, and that the Bema is the platform that the winner of the race steps up to. It's the platform where you receive your reward in this big arena. So that's what you picture. The millions and millions of saints have rushed through the door of heaven and we're all in this big arena. All right? And Christ is going to commend you for what he did through you with what he gave you. <laughs> it has nothing to do with us. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine the world spinning on its axis without our help. <laughs> Stunning grace. At that which has been given, that, that which has been accomplished in his power for his glory will survive. All that's done for his glory will survive. He is going to reward you for the work that he did through you with what he gave you. I can't emphasize that enough. He redeemed you. He died to redeem you. He rescued you from, your, from sin, death, and hell. He forgave you. He gave you a new heart. He created a new soul. He gave you his spirit to indwell you. He goes ahead of you to prepare works for you to do in the state that you're going to live in, all the... <laughs> and then fruit comes forth as he expresses himself through you, and now at the Bema, he's going to reward you for what he did with what he gave you. This is not about getting rewards for reward's sake. This is about a conversation that each believer will have with Jesus at the Bema about what you did with what he gave you. Is that pretty clear? I want to be really clear about it. Because not pe many people like get up and talk about the Bema. <laughs> now, this may shock some of you. But not everybody is going to hear, well done. No believer will ever lose his salvation. Everyone who is saved will be glorified, period. But it is possible for a believer to enter the heavenly realm spiritually bankrupt. Some lives will actually burn to ashes in the Lord's evaluation because they were not done in his power for his glory. Now, do you really think that a believer who has been disobedient more than obedient, who has squandered the resources the Lord has given and spent valuable time and even their money on worldly lusts and played continually with the toys of the world, 
Should they hear, well done? Or what about a believer who did not use the gifts or talents God had given and instead used those gifts and talents for their own personal gain? Do you really think that person is going to be commended by the Lord and hear the words, well done? If you think about that for a while, and I hope you do, perhaps it will cause you to make better choices throughout each day. There is no actual verse that says, no one's going to hear it, well done. But you'll see it as it unfolds in many of the scriptures. You'll see it more clearly. But keep that in mind. At the Bema, we will discuss, Christ will discuss with each believer, we will be in a discussion with Christ, with each believer, the quality of your building, the stewardship of your resources, and the motives of your heart. I see some faces going like this. The motives. (laughs) Let's take them one at a time real quick. The quality of your building. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. Here it is. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So you got that? The foundation is Christ. But be careful how you build. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it. That's the beam. The day that's what they're talking about. Because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. And if any man's work, which he has built on it, remains, he will receive a reward at the Bema. And if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. You're not going to hear well done. But he himself will be saved. You see what I mean? It's all right there. Everyone who is saved will be glorified, yet so through fire. So if Jesus evaluates your life and it is burnt to ash, you will suffer loss. You're not going to lose your salvation, but there won't be many rewards and you may not hear well done. But you're going to be glorified and you're going to get to enjoy heaven, okay? But come on. Run the race to win. It's a picture. This scripture is a picture of a house built on a rock-solid foundation of Christ And the builder uses all sorts of materials to build. And then a fire sweeps through it. And everything that's flammable goes up in smoke, leaving only the ashes that blow away in the wind. Only those precious stones remain, the gold, the silver, and the precious jewels. And everything else is ash. It's a beautiful picture. The fire even refines those precious stones And the purest gold and the purest silver remain. That's the picture of our lives that scripture gives us in this passage. It's very clear. Ladies, okay, let's not go for the ash, okay? Forget the wood, hay, and stubble. Go for the prize. Run to win. We will be evaluated on the quality of our building materials, what we use to build our lives, the choices we make. The second point, 
we will be rewarded for the stewardship of our resources. This is Matthew 25, 20 through 30. I won't read the whole thing, but it's the story of the talents. The one received the five talents, right? You know the story. Came up, brought five more talents. Master said, you've entrusted five talents. Well, well done. You did a good job, right? The guy had two talents, and he got two more. Right. And then the next one is describing an unbeliever who hid it in everything, and he, he gets thrown into the fire. That's an unbeliever in that passage. But this is describing that the, two, the faithful people were faithful with what God gave them in their resources. In Matthew 6, 19 through 21, it says, Don't store up your, for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves, thieves can break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. God wants our hearts to be heaven bound. So he says, put your treasures in heaven so your heart will be there. Everyone has been given a certain amount of time certain talents, as I said, natural abilities, spiritual gifts, the same, wealth, privileges of a Christian family. Maybe you came from a Christian family. Hey, I didn't. That's a privilege. Perhaps one person has a unique set of things given to the Lord. Everybody has a unique set of things. Every believer will give an account to the Lord of how those things were used. Have you been a good steward with what God has given you? Stewardship of your resources, quality of your building, the stewardship of your resources, and the third thing, the motives of your heart, the one thing that makes us groan the most. It's uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Also, you can find it in Romans 2, 16. It says, therefore, do not go on passing judgment. This is 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then, get this, each man's praise will come to him from God. Well, you wouldn't think that would be in a sentence with motive. <laughs> it's fascinating that's at the Bema. Scripture tells us that these are the things that Jesus will discuss at the Bema. Your motives will be examined. And we're going to discuss that in our last talk. I've been talking for so long, I have no idea what number talk I'm on, but we're going to get to the motives in the next talk. Is that today? <laughs> okay. So now, I think you all are stunned. Am I truly? Because I, I, you're like this. <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> anyway, so now we know what the Bema is, right? The judgment seat of Christ. Every believer will receive rewards for what they did with what God gave them. Jesus is going to have a conversation with you. He's going to have a conversation with all of us about what you did with what he gave you. So let's imagine the scene. Our glorified bodies not only can walk and run, but they're like Christ's resurrected body and can appear and disappear. Won't that be fun? Whoop. <laughs> we will know how to fly by then. <laughs> so all the redeemed, raptured saints gather from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Maybe they come flying in or they just appear. However, the glorified bodies move around the heavenlies. And these are the saints of the church age. 
only church-age saints will be at the Bema. You're not going to meet Queen Esther at the Bema, okay? Nehemiah will not be at the Bema. We'll meet them later, but they're not going to be there. Just the church-age saints. So imagine 20 centuries of saints arriving in this huge arena, the largest stadium you can imagine in your minds. Everyone is rejoicing. It's a mixture of reverence and a holy anticipation of the Lord's arrival at the Bema. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is about to come into our midst again. You know what happened the last time. Well, it's this time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And the Lord arrives. And there he is. This awe-inspiring sight. No wonder John describes the vision of the glorified Christ the way he did. And let's stand and say this scripture from Revelation together. I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across the chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white wool, wool like snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it had been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand, had seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face like the sun shining in its strength. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings and full eyes around and within, and day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, Early in the morning our song shall rise to Perfect in power. 
Trinity. And everyone will take a seat in the arena at the Bhima. How can we contain our love and adoration when we see him? We burst into song, offering him our deep worship. Did we ever worship him fully while we were on this earth? Or did we worship, did we sing with a complacency in our heart? Did it become mundane to us? Oh, but here in heaven we will know what real worship is. And then we will begin. We will witness every saint's bema. Imagine being there to witness millions and millions of saints receiving their rewards and not grow tired and not be bored and not have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> that is heaven. Oh, but there will be no time in the heavenlies. We won't have any of that. We will be riveted to each life's testimony. We will marvel at his astounding grace and the million miracles of providence in every moment of everyone's life. Now, what will we know of each person? Will we hear each detail of every person at the Bema? Well, scripture does not say, but we will get to know something of each person because we will all know one another. Just like Peter, James, and John instantly knew Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. They never seen them before, but they knew them immediately. We will all rejoice when each person receives their rewards because each one of our lives touches another life. One life can have countless blessings on myriads of people without the people even knowing it. You're going to be blown away, life upon life, person upon person. One little thing you did for a person could affect hundreds and thousands of people. One life connects to another. If you touch even one life in a simple way, that cup of cold water, you will not lose your reward, Matthew 10, 42 says. That one little kindness you did with the glory of God in mind, and that person goes out and does incredible things for the Lord and reaches maybe thousands of people, you are actually going to get credit for all those people because of the one thing you did for that person. What? This is crazy. So let's, who will be the first? Okay, John Gibson Patton. He was a real guy. He was a missionary in the New Hebrides in the 1850s part of the South Pacific Islands. A few years before John and his wife arrived on this island, two missionaries had landed to bring the gospel to these islands who were filled with cannibals. The ones that eat people, okay? Filled with cannibals. They were killed instantly and eaten within minutes of arriving on the island. And John and his wife are gonna go to the New Hebrides. That sounds like a great idea. Great. Okay. So, one night, they're there. They made it, and they have a little lean-to hut. And one night, 1859, those cannibals were frantically surrounding, dancing wildly around their little hut, jumping up and down in the jungle, desiring to kill John and his wife. And knowing full well what happened to those other missionaries, they knew they would be eaten as well. They got down on their knees and prayed. 
This is a true story. Soon after the attackers all vanished into the jungle. For some unknown reason, they just ran. They were gone. And they continued on with their work. A year later, the chief of the tribe became a Christian. And John asked him at the time, well, what happened that night about a year ago when your natives surrounded our little hut? And then you left. And the chief said, well, because of all those men you had with you, we left. I said, what man? It was just me and my wife. What are you talking about? He said, there were men standing guard, hundreds of big men in shining clothes with swords in their hands, totally circling your hut. Angels were given charge over him. Three months now after his arrival, John gave birth to a son. Then quite suddenly his wife died from tropical, tropical fever. And at 36 days old, his son died as well. John buried his wife and his child together right next to his little hut. And he would actually spend the night on their grave. They were buried together, sleeping on the grave so that the cannibals would not eat the flesh of their fresh, freshly laid bodies. And perhaps that same of angels that chased the cannibals away that night were also the ones protecting him when he was sleeping on their graves. He then served all alone on that island sharing the good news of the gospel for four more years. He remarried and continued the gospel ministry to cannibals throughout the South Seas. So imagine John Gibson's Bema. John will get to meet those angels <laughs> that saved his life more than he could have ever imagined. Angels cannot answer prayer. Only God answers prayer. But angels actually deliver the answer to prayer. Those angels were sent in direct answer to the prayers of John and his wife. And as they knelt and prayed the night, they were surrounded. But who else was praying for them? Who else even knew they were in the New Hebrides? Were thousands of people praying for John and his wife? I mean, this was 1859. There was no social media. There were no cell phones. There wasn't Facebook to alert every Christian to an urgent prayer request that we live in today. Maybe there was only one or two people. And you know what? There was. John Patton's father was a serious prayer warrior. He would pray three times a day, hidden away in a secret closet in his home. The entire family of 11 children knew his practice and they reverenced the spot that he would hide away to pray after each meal. And he also led his family in prayer two times a day. This guy was a prayer, right? One of the prayers his father prayed was this, because he recorded it because he was off to, you know, what is it, ministry school, divinity school, they called it. He said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. So were the angels dispatched by God to protect John from evil in direct answer to that prayer of his father? So because of his father, John vowed deeply to, to, by the help of God to live and act as to never grieve or dishonor his father. Follow in that example, right? So God used this missionary, not that not too many people know about. 
God used him to change the direction of thousands and thousands of cannibals in the South Seas in the mid-1800s. And all those converted cannibals are going to be rejoicing at John's Bema. 12,000 cannibals were convicted and brought to the feet of Jesus in the New Hebrides alone because of that guy. 3,500 cannibals in another island, you know, renounced their heathenism and their idolatry and, and turned to Christ because of that guy. And it goes on and on and on and on like that. The changes came in all those cannibals' life because of what God did through one willing, faithful man. John Gibson Patton, yes, will hear, well done. But guess who else is going to hear it? His father. His father who was hidden away in that closet praying for him. The faithful father will be credited for every soul that came to repent and believe in Jesus, life upon life, one life connecting and touching countless others, and maybe all you can do is pray. To God be the glory. Each person has been granted a unique combination of stewardships so that all must be evaluated individually according to what each has been given. No two people are the same. One by one, each saint will come before the Lord. The Lord's eyes that are described like flames of fire will gaze upon the lives and he will test the quality of our life and work and even the thoughts and motives of our hearts. And get this, we will see our lives moment by moment as Jesus has seen it. We will come to know ourselves as we are known to the Lord. And I think it will be then that you will know how much he loved you. Where we can see that nothing was hidden from his sight, it's at the Bema we will truly come to know how deep was his mercy and how truly amazing his grace. Because there's no condemnation in Christ. But as we sit here in our unglorified bodies and think about the sum of our lives right now and we think about Jesus looking at us and we think, oh, we may grieve to know how much we waste time and how much we waste opportunities. We might be examining ourselves right now and to know how very selfish even a believer can be. How mean a believer can be. Remember, the church is full of sinners. And we're going to, how we don't trust the one who is, this, who is so trustworthy. We may think about that. In Ecclesiastes 9, it clearly explains the hearts of men are full of evil and there is madness in their hearts while they live. But God, rich in mercy, loaded with mercy, dripping with mercy, mercy beyond compare. It's really difficult to find the words to express the depths of his love and his mercy. What a humbling experience to be wrapped in his love. It will amaze us to see the martyrs throughout history come forward to take their place at the platform for their rewards. We will be stunned at the high cost it was for them to be in Christ. We have had it so easy here in the United States in the 20th century, in the 21st century. Have we taken for granted the freedom we have to even go to church without persecution? Have we forgotten what a privilege it is to own a Bible or 10 or 20 People died to bring you that Bible and we're going to meet them. 
Have we become complacent in our comfortable lives? You know, 2 Kings 19.28 says, your complacency has come up to my ear. And that word is synonymous with arrogance. So you could ask the question this way, have we become arrogant in our comfortable lives? It will become more evident with each person that comes before the Lord at the Bema that no one gets to heaven by any work of their own. We cannot do the Christian life on our own. What a ridiculous notion that we could contribute anything to this amazing grace and this divine unmerited favor. It's ridiculous. To see God's sovereign hand <laughs> working all the details in every believer's life for, the, his good and our, for our good and his glory, the complexities of God's wisdom will most likely be way beyond even our glorified comprehension. We will see people choose to give up their life. I think of one woman in the third century, a real, real woman who lived in a small town that had been invaded by a Roman garrison. The whole town had been slaughtered because they held fast to Christ and they wouldn't participate in all the pagan rituals. So this one woman had a chance to flee, but she chose to hide some of the Christians in her house knowing they would face death, certain death. Oh, what a reward she will receive that day. And that's exactly what Hebrews 11.35 says. Others were tormented, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. That's the Bema. We will see that woman, Antonia is her name, from the third century at the Bema. And we will watch her receive the crown of life described in Revelation 2.10. I think of Fanny Crosby, right? Blinded at six weeks by a mistreatment by a doctor. By a mistake! She grew up and she never had any animosity towards that doctor, but instead was grateful because she knew the first face she would see would be Jesus. Wow. How could she complain? She was too busy writing 8,000 hymns. And one of them containing this lyric, perfect submission, perfect delight, written by a woman who lost her sight by negligence. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight, written by a blind woman. Angels descending, oh, maybe she saw them, bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. Oh, how Fanny longed for Jesus to return. We will watch her receive the crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4.8 that is awarded to those who have loved his appearing. So if you are longing and waiting and loving his appearing, you're going to get a reward for that. What about the children who die so young? What about all those babies that die? Will they be there? Oh, yes. Jesus said, do not hinder the children from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Dr. MacArthur wrote a wonderful book, Safe in the Arms of God, that describes this. They die, those babies, before committing any willful sin. They never have to experience the horror of the evil that is within us. They also have no achievements. There's not much to review of their little lives. They did not live long enough to experience earthly service, so they won't be the same heavenly rewards compared to someone who's lived 90 years and served the Lord faithfully for decades. 
But those children, even the thief on the cross, will enjoy the full blessings of heaven alongside those who labored their whole lives. Oh, those little ones will be fully glorified. And they will meet their earthly parents who had to bury them. Is there anything worse than having to bury a child? But those reunions in our glorified bodies will be overflowing with joy. And then we'll go, oh, that's what it means. For momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory beyond comprehension. We'll know what that means. Those parents will know. You know, infant mortality at the turn of the century, the 20th century, was extraordinarily high. My father was one of five children. He was the only one who survived. All his siblings lived. They were born and lived and died as infants. He was the only one. But a group of women got together at that time in history and they started to pray. They started to pray because they said, we can't, we can't do anything about it. We're losing our children. And this is long before hospitals, long before anybody thought of a NICU. We will get to know those women who prayed at the Bema. And you mothers who have benefited from the NICU, you'll get to thank them for praying. It'll be incredible. You'll see great figures of church history. It'll be thrilling for me especially to see William Tyndale. <laughs> to receive his rewards from the Lord, the, the Lord he loved so much and served so selflessly. He was the guy, you know, as I mentioned it before, who translated the Bible to English for the first time. The Lord gave him all the talents and the gifts to do it, but Tyndale was faithful and sacrificed having a normal life to live on the run, to live in seclusion with his little Greek New Testament and his little dictionary. He spent the last days of his life in a dungeon the guy who broke, brought the light of Christ to the world spent his last days in a dark dungeon with rats. He didn't care. Oh, and then he was strangled and burned to death at the stake. Oh, what wonderful rewards William Tyndale received. People always seem to give praise and honor to those theologians, and no one pays attention to the God who gave them the Bible so they could have a theology. I just think it's kind of interesting. But, you know, he wouldn't have it any other way. He doesn't want the praise. He doesn't want the glory. But at that bema, every single church-age saint will cheer when this man receives all the crowns the Lord will bestow on him. And the Lord will say, Behold your harvest, William. And every single believer in the church age will raise their hand. What a harvest. None of us, as I said before, will most likely ever be a historical figure in church history. But I believe we'll be blown away at the Bema when Christ rewards us for what he did through us and we will see how many lives we touched, even if we were someone who was housebound and all we could do was pray. We will see the fruit of those prayers and all that God did through our praying. Mothers who are pouring their lives into their little ones and showing them Christ every day. Grandmas 
You moms and grandmas, you'll be blown away by the little things you probably have forgotten all about. You didn't even remember something they witnessed you doing your, that influenced your child, your grandchild for Christ. I think of mothers who get up early to pray and have their Bibles open every day so their children can see their devotion to God. Those kids might walk by in rebellion for years and years and years, but oh, that image of their mother sitting there with that Bible open, her life speaking, not her words. Proverbs 31, woman, no words are recorded, only her actions and her character. The mother is doing all of it out of love and devotion to her Lord and Savior, and that love will impact a life for eternity. What about single gals? If you're single, it may be hard to realize, but there have been single gals all through history. <laughs> you know that Jesus was single? I just thought I'd throw that out. <laughs> so let's consider a single woman at the Bema. What might she look like? Maybe, let's say she was in the 1900s from Hoboken, New Jersey. I like Hoboken. <laughs> she rises to the platform to receive her reward, and there's an unfamiliar sound, and it's coming from the angelic hosts. It's the sound of excitement and rejoicing. No human being has ever heard of this woman, but the angels know her. She didn't accomplish anything heroic. She didn't found any great institution of higher learning. She was simply a, maybe a faithful member of a local church. Maybe she was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe she was a, maybe a, a music teacher. Day She took maybe care of her elderly mother. Nobody important. What was different about her? that made the angels get excited. Because she stopped feeling sorry for herself and she learned to pray. She became a prayer warrior, so much so that it made the enemy tremble. She prayed with such an intimacy with Jesus, the intimacy made her a powerful prayer. Her heart beat with his heart. She loved him with an undivided heart. She was so filled full of Jesus that she needed little else she trusted him in every part of her life. She was so close to him, she could believe he, that things that had already happened. How many fogs did she lift? All her students, her Sunday school class, could see the love of Christ. She prayed for them. She prayed probably countless numbers of them into the kingdom. She probably never even knew that they came to the Lord. She prayed for missionaries all over the world and through her prayer so much work of the kingdom was achieved. Thousands were affected and changed because of this woman's quiet, mighty prayers. No wonder the angels fluttered with joy when she stepped up to the platform because they probably delivered those answers to her prayers. Wow. I think of the brazen question that James and John the sons of Zebedee brought before the Lord when they said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Can you imagine saying that? <laughs> we probably thought about it, but we didn't say it. They said it. I'm so glad they did. <laughs> it's such a brazen thing. And he said, What do you want me to do for you? As if he doesn't know. They said to him, Grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. And Jesus said, You don't have any idea what you're asking. But perhaps it's someone like this single woman in Hoboken, New Jersey, that will get that kind of high honor. We're going to find out when we get there. What about the wife who took care of her sick husband for 15 years? 
She couldn't leave really the house that much. She would come to the platform and we would learn that her husband maybe had a brain tumor for 15 years. He went through countless surgeries, became unable to work. She cared for him and worked to help provide, to provide all those years. It wasn't an easy life. That's long-term suffering. Perhaps we will hear the Lord commend her and say, you know, though you were weakened by trials, by sin, by illness, by tears and sorrow and frustrations during your earthly life, though you became weary beyond imagination, you kept looking to me. Jesus will say, you, you saw God's faithfulness, uh, faithfulness amidst the tears and tiredness. Your heart remained grateful even though your husband's illness made him like Jekyll and Hyde. Some days were heavier than others. They were lonely and discouraging, but you kept trusting me and telling me about all those feelings and emotions. You turned to me to help you, to hold you, to heal you. You knew that no temptation would overtake you. You knew that God is faithful to help you endure it. Oh, woman of excellence, you served your husband. You loved your husband all to the glory of God. Well done, Trudy, my good and faithful servant. If looking at the Bema today tells us anything, it lets us know that life matters. Our choices and actions really matter. Life is not a game. There are choices to make. There are courses of action to take, priorities to set in order to determine the direction of your life. All these choices have eternal consequences. And we looked at the scripture that explains the Bema, 2 Corinthians 5.10. But the scripture right before it tells us how. I always love to know how. How. Yes, but how? 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Therefore, we must also have as our ambition to be pleasing to him. That's your goal. Make it your goal. Please him. We can please him by how we live. We can please him by the choices in our actions and in our attitudes. We please him by having our motives be to give God the glory. Ladies, there are only three things that are eternal. The word, worship, and people, not even dogs. Invest your time, resources, energy in that which is eternal. We all want to hear well done. You know, there's a scripture in 1 John 2, 28 that says, Abide in him that when he appears, we may not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now that's stunning that we can be ashamed. I don't want to be ashamed. I want to hear well done. I know you do too. Knowing all this, can you live your life now with a sense of urgency? We are all on borrowed time. We do not know the day, whether by death or by rapture, he will come to us. Life matters. Choices matter. Make choices that please him and will give him great glory. Then at the Bema, it's all done. And all of a sudden, the heavens fill with these flashes that are like lightning. And they're all around us. They're just soaring through the heavenlies. They're exploding all over. And I'm thinking, what is this? Well, it's the saints casting their crowns that they just received at Jesus' feet. And the word cast means to throw. So they're throwing their crowns 
into the heavens and they all amazingly end up at the Lord's feet with great joy and exultation. Let's all stand. And there's a great crescendo of praise and a thanksgiving and it will erupt in the heavenlies. Amen. Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him. And the great, then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound saved a wretch me. And when we first 